Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Uh, last week, we started our sermon series on uh, spiritual practices. We did week one, and I really made a case for formation in our day and age. You know, so much uh, of um, the work of um, Christian maturity and discipleship is counterformation in nature. Um, we have to admit that there is a culture that we are all immersed in. And this culture is not necessarily the culture of the kingdom. There is so much uh, in the world that we experience, that we see narratives that are being uh, shoved in our faces through news, through media, through different mediums, uh, that seems to paint a narrative that is contrary to the kingdom of God. And so much of our work of discipleship is counterformation. It's literally warring against the efforts of uh, culture in this day and age, the devil, uh, lies that we may believe growing up. Uh, we war against these things uh, to be formed into the image of Christ. And so last week, we started the, the series, you know, um, to be very frank, I had a lot of ground of cover to cover last week. And so, you know, I kind of like chopped it off and it spilled over into this week and then it expanded. So we are doing another uh, foundational kind of uh, sermon uh, that will really set us up for the next seven weeks where we talk about specific practices. But you know, I, I don't think this journey is just a journey of like seven to nine weeks. And I believe that this is really uh, setting in place the foundation for how we want to do church. Uh, as a church, we're not simply satisfied with uh, more information. You know, I, I think, you know, you can get information anywhere in the world. You don't really have to come to church to get a bang-on sermon. Go on YouTube. Guys, probably more handsome than me. Six-pack and all that good stuff. Uh, but as a church, you know, we're really basing our apprenticeship, our walk with Jesus on this whole idea of practice that is not just uh, enough to have information, to hear from scriptures, to hear sermons, but uh, it's important for us to live it out. Uh, we came to the conclusion that you cannot think your way into Christ-likeness, you have to live into it. You cannot think your way into Christ-likeness, you have to live into it. All right? And so we, we had like a bunch of uh, recap. Let's have my recaps slide up just to get you up to speed. But if you weren't, didn't manage to be around last week, I highly encourage you to listen to week one of uh, the sermon series. Uh, I think the preacher did a good job. So, you know, whatever. Too late. Okay, uh, spiritual formation is not a Christian thing, but a human thing. You know, we are all being formed whether we like it or not. And uh, spiritual formation is our intentional way of counter-formation. It's warring against uh, the work of culture. You can't think away in Christ's likeness. You have to live through it. There's a central place of self-effort in our apprenticeship to Jesus. This is something that we'll talk about further in this sermon. Transformation is often a long and arduous journey that may look like look repetitive and mundane. For most of us who grew up in a certain church tradition, transformation looks like in a moment kind of thing. Everything happens in that place, in that moment. True, you know, God does uh, amazing work uh, in our midst. We've seen that happen a bunch of times. But uh, I would say uh, from experience, more often than not, the work of transformation looks like a process rather than a moment. And uh, this is one of my favorite quotes from the, the uh, sermon uh, last week. The crucible of our formation is in the anonymous monotony of our daily routines. So much of the work of formation is not uh, what we do here in church, but so much of the work of formation is in practice, is in living out your day. All right? Are you all good? Let's pray as we begin, shall we? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this moment that we get together together, that we get to spend time together worshipping you, loving on you, and uh, hearing from your word. And Father, we ask that we will meet you here. Lord, that you will come and meet us in a brand new way. Lord, we thank you that your scriptures are not an archaic piece of literature, but it speaks to us in our present day, in our present age. So God, we ask even as we dive into your word, Lord, that you will speak to us in a brand new way. God, I thank you that people are not transformed and changed by the eloquence of my preaching or by the depth of my research, but they are transformed by your Holy Spirit. So Spirit of God, we ask that you will come, have your way, come rule and reign, do as you will. We open up our hearts, our lives to you. Come meet us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I had a real surreal experience in the toilet. Um, don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, for the first time in I don't know how long, it's been a really long time. I went to the bathroom, did my bathroom stuff without my phone. 
Now, how many of you bring your phones to the toilet? Just me? You know, I, I, before the phones, it was, I used to bring Archie comics. I needed to be entertained and, and, uh, and occupied even as I did other stuff, you know. Um, so for the first time this morning, you know, this morning I woke up and I just had this thing in me, just this sense of like, you know what, I'm just not going to, I'm going to disrupt my routine a bit. I'm going to do something different. And so I decided to not bring my phone into the toilet. And what I realized uh, real quickly was, you know, I took half the time that I normally would. Uh, and, you know, the, it's just a really weird experience, you know. Uh, for the first time, you know, as I woke up in the morning, I had such clarity in thought. I was like, wow, you know, this is a brand new day. You know, usually I'll be on my phone, I'll be like crusty-eyed and reading the news. Okay, not news, I'll be reading Facebook, let's be honest. <laughs> and... Uh, which is news in our day. Uh, but I was doing all, all that stuff, you know, and, and I realized, you know, um, at the end of that experience, which was just about an hour ago, uh, that I have developed this addiction to what I would describe as like digital caffeine, you know, like I needed that to kickstart my day or I perceive I needed that to kickstart my, my day, you know, and, and, you know, it was such a weird kind of experience and I, I'm, I'm hoping to do it again tomorrow and for, for a bunch of times, but... You know, here, here's my point. Here's the point I want to make. Much of formation, much of transformation, much of living into spiritual practices looks like the disruption of daily routines. It looks like the disruption of daily routines. It looks like re-evaluating things that you have done uh, for years and years on end, things that you, have, you are doing every day, and evaluating on whether they bring nourishment to your soul and whether they add value to um, the work of spiritual formation in your life. It's as simple as that, you know. Uh, the word spiritual practices, spiritual formation seems so out there, nebulous, ethereal, it seems so far out. But it is as simple as looking at your day, looking at the habits that you've accumulated through life, re-evaluating some of these habits and exchanging them for kingdom habits, if you will what we call spiritual practices. I'd like to read us a quote. Not a quote, it's like a paragraph of quotes. Let's have this up. It's by a brilliant Catholic thinker named Ronald Roheiser. He says this, superficiality is the curse of our age. Doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people, hallelujah, or gifted people, but for deep people. Everybody say deep people. Deep people. Deep people. The classical disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living into the depths. They invite us to explore the inner caverns of the spiritual realm. What line? They urge us to be the answer to a hollow world. Next slide. Perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your life, you have heard the call to deeper, fuller living. You have become weary of frothy experiences like cappuccinos, drinking ice black, and shallow teaching. Every now and then you have caught glimpses, hints of something more than you have known. Inwardly, you long to launch out into the deep. Whether you choose to believe in it or not, or whether you've been told differently, I'd like to propose to you today that you are a deep person. You are a person made for depth. God designed you, fashioned you to be a person of depth, to be a person that longs for something beyond the shallow experience, beyond surface level stuff. You long for depth in your spirituality. You long for depth in relationships. You long for depth. Into this world of instant gratification, obsessive need for entertainment, shallowness, the stimuli, overambition and hurry comes a gift from God in the form of a process so slow repetitive and mundane, it reorients our hearts to desire the kingdom in the midst of the brokenness of our world. And that's what we talked about last week, spiritual formation through spiritual practice. Now, before I start today, just to recap some terms that are used interchangeably, uh, spiritual formation and transformation, spiritual disciplines and practices, training and practice. I'll use this term interchangeably so you can track with me even as I go. Let's have a scripture up to make this sermon legal. Boom. Matthew chapter 3. goes like this. a familiar passage of scripture. We read this together. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? 
Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. In some translations, it says, this is the son of God whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Next slide. Okay, we shall not go there yet. Now, if you are familiar with uh, New Testament scholarship or you read a bunch of commentaries, you know that um, a bunch of the debates uh, in that circle uh, revolve around when Jesus uh, actually knew, when he was actually aware of uh, his role and his identity as the Son of God. Now, different people have uh, different uh, kind of perspectives and ideas about that. Some believe that when Jesus was born into earth and came out of his mother's womb, instantly he knew that he was the son of God. He was like, I'm the Messiah. Some believe that he was 12. Remember that whole scene in the temple where he was like, do not bother me, I'm about my father's business. Some people believe that uh, that was when Jesus was intrinsically aware of his identity as the son of God. But more, most scholars will actually point to this moment in Matthew 3, and they'll point to this moment as the definitive moment where Jesus was aware, walked and stepped into his awareness as the Son of God. Now, if you're familiar with New Testament scholarship, you'll know that the Son of God uh, in the Hebraic text uh, was not just in reference to Jesus, but it was really in reference to Israel as well. And as the prophets wrote on, they peered into the future and they saw a literal person, a literal being who would be the Son of God. He would be the son of God, but not, not only that, the son of God, not just as an identity, but it's a, a title of purpose. The son of God was the Messiah, was the deliverer, was the one who would come to break the chains, was the one who would come to save and set Israel free. He was the savior of the world. And the son of God was not just a statement of identity, it was a statement of purpose. Now, this is what I'm getting at. Notice. For Jesus, that statement that Jesus was the Son of God was not just a statement of identity, but a statement of purpose. A statement of who he is, but also who, but also what he was to do. Notice for Jesus how his identity and his calling, who he was and what he did, was quite literally joined at the hip. Now we live in this fascinating cultural moment where all our culture wants to talk about is what you do. Right? Go to any networking event, any school reunion. First question, what do you do? What do you do? Your character, honestly, in most places, doesn't really matter that much. Much of the focus is really on your accomplishments, your ambition, and how much you've accumulated in life. That is the cultural moment that we're living in today. Now, as a church, we have almost... Uh, overreacted to that cultural moment and swung the extreme. And, you know, we, we've gone the, the route of focusing only on talking about who you are. It's not so much about what you do. It's really about who you are. Or we think of the classic lines, we are human beings, not human doings. You know, that classic line. Brilliant line. But here's the truth. You cannot separate what you do from who you are. You cannot separate what you do from who you are. Not that you shouldn't but you can't. You cannot separate what you do from who you are. What you do flows out of who you are and vice versa, and who you are is formed by what you do. They live in this symbiotic relationship. For Jesus, his identity as the Son of God was very much tied to his mission as Messiah to Israel and the world. My point is this. In order to live into the vision of who you are called to be, much of the attention has to be pointed towards not just the who, but the what. What habits, practices, routines, rituals do you have in your life that have formed you into the person you are today? And what needs to be present in order to form you in the person that you are to be? The vision of life in all its fullness. Read on further in Matthew chapter 4. Familiar passage of scripture, verse 1 to 11, says this, Then Jesus after that encounter was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Next slide. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. 
and says this, if you are the son of God, notice this, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Next slide. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Now in that uh, set of scriptures that we read, we we know this is the classic Jesus tempted by the devil kind of story where you went toe for toe, the devil through Deuteronomy, Jesus raised him, Isaiah, you know, kind of a thing, you know, and, and we revisit this uh, set of scriptures really often, right? Now, Jesus was tempted here by the devil, but I'd like you to pay attention to the nature of that temptation. Notice Jesus' temptation wasn't sex, drugs, or alcohol, or it wasn't really even a temptation to sin per se. But the temptation that the devil came to Jesus with was a temptation to hand over his identity and calling, who he was and who he was to be. Literally, especially the last temptation, was the, was the antithesis of who Jesus was to be on the earth. The temptation of the devil was aimed towards the goal and the motive of having Jesus hand over his identity his calling, who he was, and what he was to do. My point is this. For many of us, the temptation is precisely that, to settle, to give up the vision of who God has called us to be and settle for the status quo and settle for something less. That is the temptation. That is the primary temptation that you and I face. Not so much the temptation to sin, that might be a byproduct of that, but the main temptation that you and I face living in the world today is the temptation to settle for the status quo, to settle for a life that is far lesser than the life that God has ordained and called for you and I to live in. That vision of life and life in all its fullness, that vision of life that's filled with freedom, joy, it's a temptation to settle for the status quo, to settle for a lesser life. And some of us will even validate that by saying, hey, one day when Christ returns, all things will be made new. But I'd like to tell you that so much of the fruit of the kingdom that he longs for you to live in is on this side of eternity. And we have been guilty of pushing the promises of God to a place where we have no responsibility and effort to inherit. It is to buy into the lie that life is to be as such and transformation this side of eternity is not possible. Why bother trying? Dallas Willard, we talk about him often, he says this, the greatest danger to the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. And I'd like to start off uh, this talk with a question for you. The question is this, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for your life? We have vision for tomorrow. <laughs> Many of you, you know, when this, this question comes up, you know, you will immediately and instinctively think career goals, certain amount of money you want to make, and we all know that amount keep changes, it increases over time, things you want to own, and all that good stuff. But my question, you know, to you is directed towards your spiritual life. Do you have a vision for the spiritual life that you want to live? Greater levels of freedom, security, and identity, living to the plans, purposes, and destiny of God. Do you have a vision, a desired goal? And here's why that is important. Without a goal or vision, the spiritual disciplines that practices will come off legalistic and burdensome. Or as the famous saying goes, vision gives pain a purpose. Donna S. Whitney, a guy who I quote a lot, a brilliant professor and pastor, he writes this, discipline without direction is drudgery. It's hard, menial, or dull work. You need to have a vision for your spiritual life or else all these practices, disciplines, it comes off burdensome, hard, menial, and honestly pointless. What is the vision that you have for your spiritual life? Do you have a vision, a direction, a goal? I will hope that you, you do. But 
for, for those of you, you know, who, who are unable to articulate it, I think you know, it's a, a great way to sum up that vision of spiritual life that you and I are called to live in is, is the simple word Christ-likeness. We are called to be like Christ. And Donald S. Whitney says this, although God will grant Christ-likeness to us when Jesus returns, until then he intends for us to grow toward it. We aren't merely to wait for holiness, we are to pursue it. Luke chapter 6, I read this verse uh, last week, says this, the student or the disciple is not above the teacher, teacher meaning Jesus, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. The student, the disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That's the goal of discipleship, that's the goal of training, that's the goal of spiritual practices, that we walk unto the goal of being like Christ. Now this verse seems very Karate Kid-esque, doesn't it, right? Let's have my picture up. How many of you know the Karate Kid? Yes? Brilliant movie. When did it come out? 90s? 90s, yeah? How many of you are familiar with Karate Kid? Three of you? Perfect. Just a bit of backstory, you know. The, the Karate Kid is about Daniel, also known as Ralph Macchio. Moves to, he moves to Southern California with his mother and quickly finds himself the target of a group of bullies who study karate at the Cobra Kai Dojo. But fortunately, Daniel prevents uh, Mr. Miyagi, an unassuming re repairman who just happens to be a martial arts master himself. Miyagi takes Daniel under his wing, training him in a more compassionate form of karate and preparing him to compete against the brutal Cobra Kai. Now, we know that this scene that, that I, I just put up is one of the famous scenes where uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi has Daniel do this repetitive chore of uh, waxing his car, right? How many of you remember the scene? Wax on, wax off, wax on. And he does that days and days and days and days on end. And he gets pissed off. He's like, why am I waxing the car? Why am I doing this menial, boring task? There is no end. There's, why, why am I doing this? How is this teaching me karate? And then Mr. Miyagi does his karate kid thing. And it turns out that that exercise, that chore was training his muscle memory, training his muscles for karate moves. And, you know, he waxes on, waxes off, and all of a sudden he knows karate. <laughs> I don't know. Why pay so much to go Taekwondo, right? You can just go and wax cars. Parents, pro tip, just have your kids, just... <clears throat> right? But that's what practices are, are, are like, right? You know, it's, it's seemingly mundane, menial stuff, you know. There's no uh, real apparent trade-off uh, on the horizon. But if you do it over time, it becomes something of value, something of beauty, something that really adds uh, nourishment to your soul. But the truth for us is this, you know, Daniel came in as a fresh face, you know, he had no background in karate, he comes in and Mr. Miyagi does his Miyagi thing and then all of a sudden he knows karate. Daniel comes in fresh face, brand new, clean slate, zero background. That's him. But for most of us, especially all of y'all sitting in church today, you come with a lot of baggage. You come with a lot of past experiences, you come with a lot of um, uh, perspectives or uh, I'll even go further say hurts regarding uh, the subject of spiritual disciplines and practices. Maybe even hearing the word discipline brings up all these memories of legalism or being shouted at by your youth leader. Like, why you never read the Bible? Like, give me your memory verse. Why do you get it wrong? Or, or maybe it's not your leader. Maybe it's a parent. They spank you for not memorizing the verse. It brings up all that kind, kinds of memories, right? Not fun. Life draining. Very burdensome. But today, you know, in this teaching, I'd like to... Um, really go after uh, this whole idea of uh, how do we best engage with spiritual practices that is not to be a journey filled with pain, toil, and burden, but it's really one that, is, that ought to be filled with joy, life, hope. And uh, that's what I hope to bring us to. Hopefully by the end of this message, but let's be honest, end of the year. <laughs> okay. uh, I chanced upon this, this quote recently, and I don't really have a lot of... Uh, uh, background of who, who said it, but that, that, this quote really spoke to me. And this is a guy named Alvin uh, Tofo. He's a businessman and from what I can tell, a futurist. And he says this, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Now, this is a, a secular quote that isn't in reference at all to spiritual formation, but I find the language so applicable and compelling. With our understanding of modern psychology, the science of habit, neuroplasticity, and all that good stuff, the teaching of scripture, we know that the way of spiritual formation and maturity is very much one of learning, unlearning, and relearning. 
And that's the journey I'd like us all to embark on, unlearning, learning, relearning. I rewrote the quote to speak into what we are talking about today. I, I, I like to put that quote up. The spiritually bankrupt of the 21st century will not be those with a lack of information, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And today, we are, I'd like to invite all of you to embark on this journey with me, to learn, to unlearn, to relearn. Perhaps you, know, you have lived um, this, this whole spiritual practices, disciplines thing you know, when you're a younger person. Perhaps it's filled with a lot of pain, a lot of hardship. It's a bad memory, you suppress it, or maybe you think you're all mature Christian now and you don't really have to do it. Uh, wherever, you're at, wherever you're at in spirituality, maybe you have not even uh, entertained the idea before. I'd like to invite all of you to learn, to unlearn, to relearn. And probably the most important paradigm that I've come to in recent years that has led me precisely down that journey of learning, unlearning, and relearning, it is this, that the route towards spiritual transformation and formation isn't that of trying harder, but training wisely. It isn't that of trying harder, but training wisely. Even in light of all that we are fighting against through immense opposition, the answer isn't in big effort, but in small incremental goals in the right direction training. This is week two of spiritual practices. I'd like to speak to you on the subject, wise training, of wise training. Last week, we talked about the importance of formation this week, we'll talk about how do we best engage with spiritual practices or for some of you, spiritual disciplines. V. Raymond Edmund says this, <clears throat> ours is an undisciplined age. The old disciplines are breaking down. Above all, the discipline of divine grace is derided as legalism or is entirely unknown to a generation that is largely illiterate in the scriptures. We need the rugged strength of Christian character that can come only from discipline. Now, this is such an accurate uh, quote to sum up our current cultural moment. V. Raymond uh, Edmund was, a, uh, was you know, the, the president of Wheaton College. He was a, a pastor, and he wrote uh, this quote in his book that was published in 1948, 71 years ago. And this quote still rings true in our day and age. Let's start off with a base definition of spiritual disciplines. Can we have my next slide up? The spiritual disciplines are the way to life to the full. They are how we posture our mind and body to abide in the vine and access the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep that in our minds even as we dive further. Let's look at the next set of scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and particularly of believers. Next slide. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for you the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Let's uh, look at the previous slide. Now I want you to pay attention to that second line. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Now that word train yourself uh, is actually the Greek word gumnaze. Uh, Let's have my fancy uh, Greek stuff up. Gumnaze, you know, and gumnaze, you know, um, sounds suspiciously like a lot like gymnasium, right? Sounds like gym. Uh, because it's precisely uh, uh, in reference to that. You know, here are some, uh, def um, what's the word for it? Here are some definitions of what the word gymnasium is. Let's have my next slide up. Acquiring proficiency through practice, regular exercise with graduated resistance. And this is a real one, to exercise naked in the games. Do not picture <laughs> anyone exercising naked in the games. Here's what uh, Paul is trying to say. You need to go to the gym of spiritual formation, not to try or to learn how to, but to live out the spiritual calling that's upon your life. You need to go and you need to train, you need to live it out. We concluded last week that there's a central place of self-effort in your apprenticeship to Jesus, but it isn't senseless, senseless effort, it's directed effort in the form of training hard as opposed to trying hard. 
John Ortberg, a brilliant pastor, he coined and introduces us to this paradigm of training versus trying. He says this, there's an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. This is what the Apostle Paul means when he encourages his young protege, Timothy, to train yourself in godliness. And a, a great way to see, see this is a marathon uh, kind of analogy. Suppose, you know, I was at home and then uh, just minding my own business, uh, eating some potato chips and watching TV. And then I get a knock on my front door and uh, it's two guys there in a suit. They look like they're from the government and they say, Andre, we've been watching you. I'm like, you have? Like CCTV, no, 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 we've been watching you, we've been, uh, you know, paying attention to your health reports, your blood work, your blood checks, and all that stuff, and uh, we have discovered that you are a superior man, <laughs> which, you know, something I tell myself often, because <laughs> I send him, you are a superior man, anyway, you're a superior man, you are engineered on a biochemical level, your body, your, all of you, you are just made to run marathons. You are made to run marathons. Go and run marathons, you marathon runner boy, you. Now, <laughs> suppose, you know, he, he, he shares that piece of information with me, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I believe. I believe I can run the marathons, you know, and I go out, I buy myself, you know, uh, running gear, I buy myself a nice pair of running shoes, I buy myself those obscene shorts, you know, that, you know, aren't, aren't even shorts, you know, they, they're like V in nature, you know, and, and I wear that, you know, and like, I'm all aerodynamic and stuff like that, you know, and... <laughs> You know, suppose, you know, I come, and mind you, know, I, I come from like a background of like potato chips and so far, you know, and now I'm, now I'm like shoes and singlet and all that good stuff, and I'm like, I'm going to run for marathon. And you know, I'm like engineered to run marathons, right? You know, there's this like potential in me, this latent potential. And I go run my marathons, you know. Um, let's be honest. 5km in, Andre is tired. 10km in, Andre is dead tired. 12 came in, Andre is dead. You know, and so, uh, <laughs> no matter how much potential is in you, you cannot actualize and live into it apart from practice, apart from training. No matter how gifted you are, how much of these things are deposited in you, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, you know, you are a conqueror, you are a royal priest, so do you know who you are? But you cannot live into that vision of a good life, you cannot live into the vision of life and all its fullness, you cannot be adept in spiritual disciplines apart from practice. You need to practice. And for most of us, you know, the journey looks like this, you know, I, um, the last month has been a really busy month for me, you know, I was moving my house and uh, root canals and all that good stuff, you know, and it's all planned. And, and so, you know, I had, it was a real, real uh, busy month. You know, I hate to use the word busy these days, but it was a busy month. And so I was really busy and, uh, you know, it really threw a wrench into my routine and uh, my, my habits and practices, you know. And I used to go to the gym um, almost every day. You know, I had this, like, workout re regimen going on and all that good stuff. Uh, you know, we keep each other accountable on our Apple Watch, you know, and we follow each other, you know. It's a real tool for spiritual formation, maturity. If you're on Android, you need to do something about your spirituality, and all that good stuff, you know. You get like, you know, the, never mind, it's okay. But, um, but so, you know, I, after a month of not exercising, you know, we finally settled in our house, you know, still cleaning, still unpacking, but more or less settled. And then I told myself, you know what, I need to like kickstart my routine. I need to like get back into shape, whatever shape is. Round is also a shape. But I need to get back into it, man. And so I decided, you know what? I will sign up for an F45 class, which I've done before, right? And so I decided, I'll go for an F45 class. And so I went to Changi Business Park. I went up, you know, uh, I found the F45 class. And so it was like, a, it was a pretty killer workout. And so, like, you know, it was like hard, hard stuff. And, you know, when you think you're done, they're like, okay, now we're going to, like, wrap it up. You know, when wrap it up, you think, like, cool down, you know, like, just cool down, you know. But they're like, we'll wrap it up with a two-minute plank. Huh? Two minute plank. I don't even think that's humanly possible. And the only plank I participated in is in reverse plank, you know, like head on your pillow kind of plank. But I was like, two minute plank? Are you kidding me? And I was like, mm. and so, and so, you know, I did a plank, and instructor like, you know, basically shoved me down, and yeah, yeah, it was a delightful experience. And so, you know, 
And so I really hit it up for like that 45 minutes. And you know, I, I walked out of the, the thing like a triumphant champion, you know, I was like, yeah man, you know, I'm a conqueror. And then I walked down the stairs and all of a sudden I got nauseous. <laughs> and then, I don't know whether you have ever been to Changi Business Park, but there's like a large open court where people sit and you know, there's like a bunch of restaurants everywhere. And so I walked down the stairs, I got downstairs and I was like, I got nauseous and then I lied on the floor for 30 minutes. <laughs> Just a shell of the man. Like, if any of y'all saw me then, y'all leave the church because I did not look like the picture of like health and spiritual vitality, not at all. I was like, <sighs> you know. And I was like, this close to throwing up on a taxi ride home. I got home, if you ask Amy, I lied down on the floor for another hour. So I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, not, not, no bueno. <laughs> Here's my point, okay. This is often how we approach um, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, or even just acquiring anything new in the kingdom. We go big, we go big or go home, you know. Every year we start off with like a New Year's resolution, like we resolve to do so much thing and we go like, this is the year of the breakthrough. One week in, we go like, this is the year of the breakdown, you know, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. You know, it's, it's way. For most of us, that is how or what our experience with spiritual practices, disciplines looks like. And we live in this cycle, let's have the cycle up. We try harder and then we get fatigued, we lie on the floor and not move. And then we quit. You know, I had this whole plan of like, you know, I'm going to like exercise every day. Like I'm going to start that day. I'm going to exercise every day. And because I hit it on that level, guess what? I didn't do it for the next, you know, five days. I haven't exercised because my body just doesn't work. And so fatigue. And then I quit. It doesn't work. And then I, oh, sorry, the arrows will go this way. And then I get guilt. I feel guilty. And then it stops me from Trying. The arrows will go the other way. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this, if we are honest with ourselves, is what most people experience when they are trying to follow Jesus. And some inevitably come to the conclusion that they are just not good at following Jesus. This thing is just not for them. They try really, really hard. They do. They try really, really hard. And then they just get tired. This is not for me. They quit. And it stops them from trying again. To me, we have to have an approach that falls between two extremes. One extreme is that you, know, you become lazy and you squander the call that God has given to you, right? You know, where you, know, you just go like, hey, you know, I don't have to do a thing. I'm just loved, I'm loved, I'm loved. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. You know, Dallas Willard was famous for saying that grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Even in grace, there is a role for you to play in your transformation. We are not to be passive creatures. We are to actively engage with the work of God. But the other extreme is that we get really legalistic with it, right? Where we moralize everything. Oh, you don't read the Bible, you're going to hell. Oh, you don't pray, you're going to hell. Oh, you don't tithe, you're going to hell. And we moralize everything and we slap a consequence. And we use... Fear, you know, we use the fear of consequence to motivate right behavior. It does us good to pay attention to scripture and know that Jesus and his discipleship, uh, you know, he, Jesus' primary mode of discipleship was teaching and invitation. He taught his disciples an aspect of the kingdom and then he invited them to live into the aspect of the kingdom with him. Jesus did not use fear or consequence as a means to motivate right behavior. Tragically, the church has done so. That's what the spiritual disciplines are. They are an invitation to meet with God. Laziness and legalism, two extremes. But what is the solution in the middle that we are to live into, to live into our full redemptive potential? And I believe it is what Otwork proposed, wise training, or practice. And I found the word wise interesting, you know, and, and he really pulled it from his mentor, Dallas Willard. Can we have that big slide up? Dallas says this, the spiritual disciplines are not righteousness, but wisdom. Pay attention to that line. The spiritual disciplines are not righteousness, but wisdom. We must not be heroic or think we are earning anything from God. Disciplines from the spiritual life are places in which we meet Jesus 
to be taught by him, and he's our guide into how they are best practiced. We should not be overly concerned about how others do them. In a very short time, Jesus will lead us into the practice that is best for us. And what Dallas is getting at is three, it, really three powerful ideas. The first idea is this. The spiritual disciplines are not a barometer for spirituality. They are not a barometer for spirituality. For most of us growing up, how long you prayed, how much Bible you read, how much of spiritual practices was active in your life was an indicator of how spiritual you were. And the inverse was also true. If you weren't regular with your practices, the time allocated or volume you accomplished diminished, so did your spirituality. And by extension, God's delight over you. In many ways, the spiritual disciplines are largely associated with a fear of consequence and disapproval. And the point that Dallas was making is this. The spiritual disciplines are for the purpose of self-refinement and not the appeasement of God. We do not appease God or earn delight points just because we do spiritual disciplines. You are loved. You are the object of the Father's delight and affection. You do not practice, hear me when I'm saying this, you do not practice to get into the kingdom of God. You don't do things to get into the kingdom of God. You do not earn your way into the kingdom of God by self-effort. But practice is the way that you live in the kingdom of God. But I, I love this line where Della says that the spiritual disciplines are wisdom and not righteousness. They are wisdom, how life is to be best lived. If you want a life of flourishing, then you need the spiritual disciplines. You need the spiritual practices. You need to read the Bible. You need to pray. If you want a life of flourishing, Ronald Roheiser says this, love understood properly is never a reward for being good. Goodness, rather, is always a consequence of having been loved. We are not loved because we are good, but hopefully we become good as we experience love. Next point I think Dallas was getting at was this, that the spiritual disciplines are means, not ends. They are means, not ends. How much disciplines we have accomplished have almost become a badge of honor that we wear proudly. Hey, you know I fast how many days this week? I read 10 chapters of the Bible a day. You do? What? One? Yeah, you're a level two Christian. I'm a level six. No, I chanced upon this, this funny cartoon uh, on, on Instagram. Let's have the cartoon. Not. This is a cartoon about CrossFit. That caption below says, Remember guys, what happens in this CrossFit gym, insert your cult of choice, is reference and ad nauseum outside this CrossFit gym. Whatever happens in this gym, we must talk about it all the time. We must talk about it, you know. Whatever happens in that cult of choice, fill in the blanks. We must talk about it all the time. When we go outside, you know, we must talk about how much I've done, how much I did, how much I accomplished, etc., etc. That's not how spiritual... <laughs> ad nauseum. <laughs> the truth is we venerate how much we do, don't we? But the truth is there is no value in the discipline in and of themselves. But what the discipline produces, in Dallas's word, it's a place where we meet Jesus. The disciplines do not earn us favor with God or measure spiritual success. Hear me in this. They do not earn us favor with God or measure spiritual success. They are exercises which equip us to live fully and freely in the present reality of God. And God works with us, giving us grace as we learn and grow. The goal of practicing the way of Jesus is not the practice, but what you get from doing the practice. There is no implicit value in not eating food. But there is tremendous value in you discovering how hungry you are for God by not eating food. There is no implicit value in just reading scriptures, but there is value in how you are transformed in heart, in mind, in lifestyle through the reading. A quote that goes, it says this, while we cannot be godly without the practice of disciplines, we can practice the disciplines without being godly if we see them as ends and not means. It is where we meet with God. Yeah. They're not the end in and of themselves. And the last point I think Dallas was getting at was this. The journey of spiritual disciplines is a unique one. When I was younger, I traveled with a pastor that I really admired. And uh, he was a, a, a brilliant pastor, you know, 
real great teacher of the word, and uh, was really gifted prophetically, and I saw him move uh, in power, and you know, he was a real, I would say, you know, at, at a point in my life, a real vision for what a spiritual life looked like, you know, and I had some time to, with him, and I remember I sat down with him, and I said, uh, Pastor, you know, how do I uh, grow in God? How do I grow in the prophetic? And he looked at me and said, <clears throat> five minutes of quiet, no talking. 45 minutes of praying in tongues, no English. 10 chapters of Bible every night. So I was like, yes. You know, and I remember I took a post-it, I wrote down those things, and I slapped it on my wall. Five minutes quiet, no talking. 45 minutes praying in tongues, no English. 10 <laughs> chapters of Bible every night. And I was like, yeah. You know, and, and so I had like the golden formula. I was like, I'm going to be the most spiritual person on the earth. So I was like, yes, I'll do it. And, you know, I really had to rework the way I did my devotion. Quite a time, you know, so much of devotion to me, for me at the point in time looked like lots of singing, lots of worship. Uh, you know, I would pray into the, my own needs and the needs of people around me in English. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I wasn't doing like 10 chapters a, a, a day. You know, I was doing maybe one, two verses, but I really sit, ponder, you know, really think about those verses. And all of a sudden, I really had to rework all of it, you know, to really fit into, um, you know, his style of quiet time, and, and I was like, you know, man, I'm going to do this, I'm going to change, I'm going to rework it. And so, you know, I thought that if I did that, if I engaged in the golden formula, I would be a real spiritual person, I would, like, be very intimate with Jesus, and it would uh, lead me, you know, to breaking into deeper levels of uh, the knowledge of God, intimacy, and all the good stuff. But what happened was, you know, three months in, all I could say was it felt unnatural. I dread. Uh, every quiet time, I dread it. You know, I was like, I'm not enjoying it. It's not happy. And the best way I can describe it is that it, it did not feel like me. It felt off. Now, I remember uh, I was giving spiritual advice to a younger person one day, and I was telling him that, uh, hey, you know, you want to grow in God, you need to read books. And how many of you know that I read a lot of books? Like, books is my, my jam. And so I was like, you need to read books. And so I, I was like, Books and books and books, you need real books. And so I shoved a bunch of books to him, you know, and, 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 uh, and I said, you need to read this, you need to read this, you need to read this, read this. Don't worry, it's not you. <laughs> you can come down. I, shove, I do shove books at you, but you like them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, no, no but, but I was pushing a lot of books, and, and, and then I checked in with the person three months later, and I was like, oh, so how many books you read? Because I was like, um... Yeah, so I didn't read any. I was like, well, how can you not read any? Like, don't you want to grow in God? Don't you have a vision for a good life? No, like, why are you like lukewarm? You know, and I was like throwing all this. Together. I was young then. I was young, you know, and, and the, the person said, said this to me, and this is, I, in my opinion, one of the best advice I've got as a pastor. The person said to me, like, um, like this is just not for me. And... Um, he said it more delicately, but in essence, this is what I heard from him. He said, don't expect me to flourish uh, by living. Don't, do not put your yoke on me and expect me to flourish. Don't put your calling, your conviction on me and expect me to flourish. Here's my point I want to make. My personal observation is this. Much of the wounding, the hurt in church much of the wounding, the hurt in church when it comes to spiritual practices has to do with someone else, most of the time a spiritual leader, moralizing their call and conviction of God on their own life and imposing them on another. We take our unique journey, the unique call, the unique convictions that's upon our own life and we moralize them. We make them into a method, into a law and we expect all to follow suit. The point I want to make to you is this, the spiritual disciplines, that journey is a unique one. It's a unique, personal, intimate one. In the next few weeks, okay, you'll hear a range of spiritual practices, and I'm doing this on purpose. I'm sending you the foundation. I know it's really long journey, but I, I really believe that we need a good foundation even as we tackle the specific practices in the weeks to come. We'll talk about prayer, Bible reading, Sabbath, all that good stuff. But the, the point I want to make to you in this, and, and hear me when I say this, you need to catch this. The last thing you should do is approach the spiritual disciplines with a, if you would, infinity stones 
Pokemon, got to catch them all kind of mentality. Like, once I have, you know, boom, you know. Like, life, you know, is fullness. Like, I'm there. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. That's not the point, nor the goal. Yes, you need them all. Hear me in this. You need them all. You need all the spiritual practices, but not in a legalistic sense. The spiritual disciplines are meant to be dynamic, not static. They speak into your personal need, your season, and your life stage. Which will say that there are certain disciplines that we ought to be consistent in. In my opinion, you should read the Bible, you should pray, you should be consistent in them. But there are some spiritual disciplines where we're called to place emphasis on in certain seasons, moments in our life. You know that last year was a, a year where I was really battling with that whole anxiety, panic attack thing. And one of the disciplines that I had to really bear down and emphasize in my life was rest, Sabbath. And I practiced Sabbath religiously even more so then. There are moments, seasons in time where you place emphasis on certain disciplines because of present need, circumstance you're battling. There aren't a list you check off, but wisdom we apply. The spiritual disciplines are not righteousness. They are wisdom. They are ways to meet God. All right? Now, some of your hearts might sing the next statement I'm going to make. I'd like to wrap up with six points. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go through them very fast, don't worry. Sorry, hello. I saw some of you packing your bags here. What? Two minute plank. Two minute plank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, train. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I really want to play into this whole uh, concept of wise training. You know, what, what, what really is wise training? I'd like to bring up six points even as we close shortly, I promise. Here's point one. Wise training takes into account your personality. It takes into account your personality. As you engage spiritual practices, you should take into account your personality. As an introvert, silence and solitude, silence is my top spiritual discipline. I need space, just me alone, time with God, in quiet. You know, one of the jokes I have with Amy is that, you know, people ask us what's our love language. My love language is leave me alone. And that's the way I feel love. Sometimes Amy is like, you go have your alone time. I was like, oh, you love me, you know me. But as introverted as I am, do I still need community? Yes. That's why I commit to a life group. That's why on Sundays, I have a bunch of friends who I describe as my uh, friends, but like, I don't need to be a pastor in front of them friends, you know, if you know what I mean. Not that I'm a heathen on Sunday, but you know, <laughs> I just am like, you know, don't tell me your needs and problems. I'm not going to pray for you on Sunday night. <laughs> I'll pray for you on Monday, you know. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, there's, I have a personality, right? And we, are all, we all have a personality. I hope you do. I hope you have a personality. <laughs> As an extrovert, you need more, more uh, time with community. Maybe instead of once a week, you need to like, hang out with people four times a week. That is you. Right? Four times a week. You go for three, four life groups. <laughs> now, that is exhausting, okay? It, for me, it's like, oh, why do that to yourself? But it's all good. But God created you. Hear me this. God created you. He created you with a personality. You are not a glorious accident. You are an intentional miracle. In the hand of God. He made you with a personality. He made you with a personality. If he wanted you more extroverted, he would have made you more extroverted. If he wanted you more introverted, he would have made you more introverted. Take into your account your personality. Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Pathways, write about nine sacred pathways where we experience God. I know, so chim. He writes, I, don't, I didn't write this, this is from a book. He talks about uh, there are naturalists, people who love God outdoors. I don't. Hot, sweaty, mosquitoes, not my thing. <laughs> Sensates, loving God, the senses, think about how you eat some like nice hot french fries and go like, oh, God is real, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> that might not be the best way to describe it. Traditionalists, loving God through ritual and symbol. Aesthetics, loving God in solitude and simplicity. Think Muji home, think white walls, <laughs> think totally nothing. Picture of that right there. Muji top, Muji shoe, Muji everything. There are, there are activists loving God through uh, advocacy and confrontation. Think of a Martin Luther thing of like, we need to, you know, these guys. Caregivers loving God by loving others. Enthusiasts loving God with celebration. Contemplators loving God through adoration. Intellectuals loving God with the mind. You know, I sometimes, you know, I, I, I peer into the crowd as you are worshipping. And I see some of you are like, yeah, worship is my jam, you know. Like, another, 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 you know. And then... And then some of you, you know, 
I've never been to Zouk, so yeah. Some of you, you know, you, you're like, yeah, this is good. This is good. And then, you know, we have those interlude moments where they go like, yes, Lord, fill the spirit. And then you go like, yeah, come on, next song, next song. Let's, let's get it done. You know, some, some of you are like that. No, no judgment. But, you know, there are some of you who, who love worship, but then, you know, when it comes to the word, you're like, yeah, you know, right? whoever speaks, whoever speaks, Lord, you just... And then, like, when you close the, the service worship, like, yeah, worship time, let's go, you know? And there are some of you, you know, like, you go like, yeah, you know, worship is good, but then sermon time, you, like, break out, like, your notepad, your Bible, your overly highlighted Bible. Right now, you're fact-checking me, you know, you're like, no, 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 no. And intellectually, you are engaged, right? But it's all good. It's all good. We experience God in unique ways with our unique personalities, and it's fine. And spiritual disciplines, practices, wise training takes into account of that. You're not, the goal here isn't for you to die to your personality and conform to one yes. method. All of you must love doing this, period. No, it takes into account your personality. But to balance that, wise training takes a balanced approach, it does. There's freedom to be who you are and come alive as you are, but who God made you to, to be who God made you to be. But it's important for us to recognize that we have bends that at times lead to dysfunctional behaviors and patterns in our life. You know, some uh, brilliant guy did a, 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 a great work where he plotted the spiritual disciplines on four access points, his abstinence alone, engagement community, all the good stuff, right? I want to make a point, okay? If you know you have a bent towards something, overindulgence into it creates dysfunctional patterns. It's on the slides, okay? If you have a bent, then you need to intentionally spread. Hear me this, yo. If you have a bent, you need to intentionally put into your life practices to offset that bent. My bent is, I love all of y'all, but I can very much live without uh, people. <laughs> Other than Amy. Amy is my person, you know, and for the rest of y'all, y'all are very much optional. And so, <laughs> it's true, it's true. But, 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 but I want to grow and mature in Christ-likeness. And part of that journey is for me to recognize that I have a bent. And if overindulgence in that bent leads to dysfunction, and I need to practice some disciplines, put into place some hard stuff, things that are unnatural for me, in order to offset that bent. You know, I will upload this uh, spiritual path formation uh, chart onto uh, the notes, but basically some brilliant guy did a work based on Carl Jung's uh, uh, psychological type, and he, he, he wrote down like a list of um, you know, ways that uh, different personality types engage with spiritual practices, and what do they need uh, to flourish in life, what are certain bands they have, and what are certain things they need to offset. Uh, you can find that in the slides. Uh, but let's go to our next point. Why is training best in mind your season of life? You no, know, perhaps you know, you're in a stage of life where you really don't have a lot of time or you just find it really hard to carve out time. You know? It bears into mind your season of life and uh, you know, it really is uh, a wise thing for us to manage our expectations on how certain disciplines are to be lived and also bear in mind that you know, a lot of it is incremental growth. You start small, but it comes big if you do it over time. Okay, the next one. Wise training recognizes the need of the hour, the need of the hour. The best teachers of spiritual disciplines all utilize the spiritual disciplines like a doctor would utilize medicine, surgery, diet, or some form of therapy. As a general rule, okay, you know, we, we looked at the chart earlier. Let's say you're dealing with a sin of indulgence, porn, gluttony, addiction, then you will need to work in a spiritual practice of abstinence, something like fasting. If you are dealing with a sin of omission, let's say lukewarmness, spiritual apathy, then you need to work into your life a spiritual discipline of engagement, church, community, serving, justice, etc., to break the apathy. Right. Spiritual disciplines, they are dynamic, they're not static. They speak into your present season, life stage as well as need. Yeah. Next one, okay, 
point five, you know, we're wrapping up soon. Wise training works on replacing, not removing. Replacing, not removing. Most of modern psychology, behavior science, and experts on the science of habit would agree that you don't eliminate a bad habit, you replace it. All the habits you have right now, good or bad, are in your life for a reason. In some way, these behaviors pro have provided a benefit to you, even if they are bad for you in other ways. Sometimes the benefit is biological, like it's with smoking or drugs. Sometimes it's emotional, like it's when you stay in a relationship that's really bad for you, etc. Because bad habits, you know why we have bad habits? It's because bad habits provide some type of benefit in your life. It's very difficult to simply eliminate them. Instead, you need to replace a bad habit with a new habit that provides a similar benefit. Now, this thing I've been doing in my life for years, and you know, it's part of the way I'm wired and my personality type. Every night when I go to bed, you know, um, I like to recount my day, you know, and I would really think through all the things I said, which is something that I'll do tonight, you know, because I'm talking a lot now. I'll go back, I'll rethink all the things I said, I'll rethink your reactions, your faces now. I'll rethink like how uh, I was uh, received, I'll rethink uh, some of the conversations I had. And uh, you know, more often than not, that, that whole reflecting process will end with like, a, gosh, Andre, like, why do you say that? Gosh, Andre, like, you should have said that better. You didn't sound too smart. You know? What if people think you're dumb? And, uh, but you know, that's, that's on the, the milder side of stuff, but sometimes it exacerbates into like, you know, come on, ah, stupid, you know, and I'll like hit myself on the head and be like, wow, why, why do you say that? You know, I'm really hard on myself and real perfectionist, INTJ type, you know the drill. Um, but you know, I, I found that, you know, over time that it was a real dysfunctional thing. You know, I would always go to bed feeling very lousy and I also wake up in the morning feeling very lousy. You know, that's a pattern I had established in my life for years and years and years. Yeah. I would say maybe two, three weeks ago, I discovered uh, a prayer from um, the Ignatian spirituality. It's called the Prayer of Examine. And I've been doing it uh, almost every night uh, for the last two, three weeks. It's called the Prayer of Examine. And it's a, it's a fixed prayer. It's a prayer that will take 15, 20 minutes. And it, it goes like this. You, know, you, you replay what happened in the day. You rejoice uh, with the things worth rejoicing. Where do you feel grace? Where was God present? You repent on uh, where you felt emotional pain, when you sinned, etc. You know, and things you said to people, you repent. And, uh, and you end the day with resolving to live different the next day and you sleep with gratitude. I've been doing that every day. You know, I replay, I rejoice, I thank God for the moments worth thanking God. I repent of things I need to be repentant for and then I resolve to live the next day different. And I put the past quite literally behind me. And that's been like a real, real gift to my soul. What happened was I identified a bad habit, a dysfunctional behavior, and I replaced it with a spiritual practice. And much of the spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices ought to work that way. You do an audit of your life. What are things, habits, routines, rituals that you have established in your life over time that are not doing your heart good? And what are spiritual practices you can put in place instead of that? to bring flourishing to your soul. And the last one is this. Wise training acknowledges weakness. It acknowledges our weakness. The spiritual disciplines isn't a self-help DIY transformation approach. It's a means for us to curate our hearts in expectation for the work of transformation, which is only birthed through the Holy Spirit. John Shear wrote a haunting poem about John the Baptist. Can we have that poem up? He writes this about John the Baptist. You know, uh, in it, I can denounce a king, but I cannot enthrone one. I can strip an idol of its power, but I cannot reveal the true God. I can wash the soul in sand, but I cannot dress it in white. I can devour the word of God like wild honey, but I cannot lace his sandal. I can condemn sin, but I cannot bear it away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is aware of both his strength and his impotence. He can point out what's wrong and what should be done, but after that he is helpless with nothing to offer in terms of strength needed to correct the wrong. And that's where we're at. Wise training recognizes that, hey, we have a part to play, but God has a part to play. And, and in, in that partnership, God does most of the heavy lifting. And what we do in spiritual practices and discipline in wise training is that we curate our hearts. We curate our hearts. We toil the ground of our hearts in expectation for he who comes to sow the work of transformation. In our transformation, we have a part and God has a part. We do the natural, God does the supernatural. The spiritual disciplines are our part to play in the work of transformation. And as the saying goes, without him, we can't. But without us, 
he won't. We begin with a will to change, but we are transformed not by our own willpower, but by a higher power, that of grace. Now, there were six points up there, but if I can sum up all that six points into one word, and that, this, that, that which is required for us to have, even as we lived into spiritual practices and embark on this journey together, is the word self-awareness. We need to become self-aware of where we're at and where we are lacking. Augustine, famous line, you know, he says this, how can you draw close to God when you are far from yourself? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Self-awareness is where we come face to face with the good, the bad in our own soul, and ultimately our deep need for God. And the spiritual practices are this. It's where our self-awareness and our self-effort meet with God, where we shift from trying hard to training wisely. The previous cycle was this, you know, try harder, fatigue, quit, guilt. But through practice, the cycle changes. We practice, we grow, it brings up confidence, and with that we experience joy, and joy leads to more practice. Dallas Willard says this, that joy is the keynote. It's the central theme of all the disciplines. The purpose of the disciplines is liberation, is freedom. The disciplines, the practices, they are not meant to be burdensome, dreary, fear-based, but it's to be one filled with joy, filled with freedom and liberation. That is life and life in all its fullness.